Okay, hello everyone. Uh, I'm here to uh, talk and to address the participatory dimension of uh, conceptualizing democracy and finding measures uh, for democracy. And uh, so this is together with uh, the research assistant Julia and Keiko who have helped a lot to prepare this today. Uh, this is the outline for my talk. Uh, I want to briefly talk about is political participation an important dimension uh, of uh, measuring the health of democracy, what are the theoretical views on that, how best to measure participation. I want to talk very briefly about voting versus other forms, quantity versus quality, echoing uh, some of the things uh, that Daniel just talked about. And I also want to talk about levels versus gaps. So, uh, And uh, then I want to add something to this participatory dimension and talk about one important criteria of democracy in an era of populism and uh, explicit challenges to democracy are particularly important. So uh, they relate to participation, but not uh, they are maybe not the typical things that we think about, but they become much more urgent now in the era of populism. And uh, I always try to put uh, Canada into comparative context, of course. So I want to start off with a quote uh, by Robert Schlossman and Brady uh, about uh, citizen participation, which they say is at the heart of democracy. So they obviously put a very strong value on participation. They believe it is inextricably linked to democracy. So, uh, and generally, I would say there is a widespread agreement among democratic theorists. Uh, Daniel, if, if you agree that participation is a good thing and that it's really the lifeblood of uh, representative democracy and any other form of democracy, really. Um, and there, there is a little bit of argument about how much civic engagement is necessary or desirable. Of course, this also has historically been argued by uh, John Stuart Mill and Rousseau and many others. So they view participation should come at the maximum extent. But others, like Schumpeter, Mosca, uh, and uh, Michels, uh, have put a little bit of a limit on this. They have viewed uh, democracy more as an elite form of governance where people have limited input during elections. So there are these two conceptions out there uh, in the theory, but I think um, uh, with today's uh, criticisms, besides today's criticisms after the election in the US that uh, maybe people don't know exactly uh, to vote in their own interests and so on, uh, generally there is an accepted uh, view that a lack of participation is seen as a serious democratic ill. Okay, so I think despite some of the revisionists, there is this kind of latent agreement that more participation is good. Um, and uh, that it actually has strong consequences if that's not done uh, for uh, the legitimacy uh, of our democracy. Um, ultimately, though, I think uh, we need to know more about the exact consequences of participation in order to really understand how important they really are as measures of democracy. If, for example, people participate in politics and they are not heard and they cannot influence the solving of political problems, they cannot really bring themselves into the political process, but they are just doing it to self-express, it is much less important than if it would be a real effect. And so there is too little research, so that's my first point, too little research that really looks at the consequences of various acts of political participation. And that's really where some of the empirical researchers, I think, have to contribute. But let's, I would like to go now with the idea that we do support 
participation and uh, we uh, do it um, if um, as many uh, uh, people who participate are informed. So, so these are the two conditions. Um, and uh, to also agree to uh, that participation is a matter of, of principle for the equality of voice uh, that is being expressed. However, um, this should not just come with one type of expression. So we all agree, as Miriam said in the beginning, that it's not just about voting. I want to underline this and say, yes, over the last decades there have been transformations in our forms of political expression and participation uh, that uh, I have tried to depict here. Uh, so these are transformations from hierarchically organized politics and parties and organizations to much looser networks uh, to uh, forms of participation that happen not just in the, the so-called public sphere, but that scratch the surface on the public and private sphere, although there is some disagreement on that, uh, that there is not just one form of mobilization, but many spontaneous forms of mobilization, that the character of participation shifts from just purely being collective to uh, collective logic, but with an individualized character and individualized action. And most of all, and maybe most radically, that the, uh, the targets of participation are not just the government and policy makers, but become various power holders in society. And uh, so this is what we have to take account of when we measure participation. So not to just look at voting per se, but at all these other forms uh, that have emerged over time. And here are some examples of survey questions that have tried to get at this. And I think that one way is to really deepen this kind of battery in order to get at uh, non-campaign related, so not just the first part of this, but non-campaign related other forms of political expression and participation uh, also between election years. The other uh, issue is, of course, to look at the quality versus the quantity of participation. So while it, it, uh, we, we should look at, at levels and how many people are on average participating, it is also important, as Weber, Schottman, and Brady say, to distinguish uh, how much con uh, information is conveyed during a political act. Um, and uh, we should look at uh, the volume of how loud a, political, a particular political act is, and we can look at the requirements for participation, whether uh, uh, certain amounts of money, time, or skills uh, are involved in participation. So for example, the act of voting has a, a, a low way of expressing yourself. You cannot explicitly say what you really want. The volume is fairly low for an individual, uh, and there, the resource there is time. But uh, there is, for example, many more resources involved when you join a political group and so on. So my point here being that we should make distinctions, not just vote and non-electoral acts, but also to look at the, these different dimensions of participation, of how much skills, how much time, uh, and how much volume is involved. Um, then my third point here about measuring participation is not to just look at the level of participation, but mostly look at the gaps between different groups in society. And uh, that, I think, has been addressed a little bit, and some people are uh, uh, looking at inequality of participation. But it is certainly true, two things here, that we, we find a very strong component of uh, socioeconomic resources, uh, resources that matter for participation, as we can see here on the left graph. For any political acts, online and offline, socioeconomic resources matter extremely. And also in the Canadian context, for various non-electoral forms of participation, we see that, for 
example, the dimension of education matters a lot. So it, it, it is true that our societies don't speak with an equal voice. And that is something we want to pick up when measuring democracy. Uh, and that is not just along socioeconomic resources, that is also along uh, gender, uh, ethnic minority status, immigrant status, uh, and, and citizenship, and many, many more. So uh, that is, uh, that, that is I, I think, my point about if we look at participation, we, we should take these gaps into account and look at societies that are able to close these gaps so that people can speak and are heard with an equal voice. Um, so I want to shift to my second part, uh, where I only have a little bit of time left uh, for these last thoughts that are really related to the idea of which important criteria of democracy uh, do we need to focus on in this era of populism and where we see explicit challenges on democracy in our stabilized democratic systems. And here are my four issues that I want to briefly touch on. So first, I think we need to look at the support for democracy more generally. Uh, second, we need to look at the resistance, the capacity of people to resist the destruction or the dismantling of democracy in our democratic systems. Any attempts, maybe from populist leaders, from populist parties, or any coalitions uh, to dismantle democratic principles, how do people react to this? Are they able to fight back? Are they able to hold on to these democratic values? I think is an important characteristic of a health of democracy these days. Uh, we obviously need to look at the protection of minorities. And finally, and which is also reflecting again Daniel's point, we need to look at civility and the acceptance of disagreement, of political disagreement in particular, in a time and era of increasing political polarization and the acceptance of uh, opposition. So I want to show you a few uh, slides on some empirical research on this and, and uh, let you know how I see uh, uh, maybe Canada is situated in this. Canada has been seen as a country where uh, populism has not had uh, a chance, although there have been some populist parties in the past, uh, but in the most current uh, development of populism in the Western world, uh, Canada is seen as a country that has been protected. Now the question is, is Canada really as protected as we think? And so these are some ideas of how we can check this, okay, how we can check the health of Canadian democracy. So as you maybe know from uh, research from uh, Foa and Monk, um, they have shown, although this article has also been embattled a little bit in terms of its measurement, but they have looked at uh, how uh, we see a generational component to the acceptance of democracy as the best system of governance. And they find that the youngest generations, although in the, their case it's a, uh, to a certain degree cross-sexual, the youngest groups are the least acceptant of the forms of, of democratic governance, okay? And um, so there is some argument about that, but they also uh, underline that point here with uh, more a longitudinal analysis that you see here on the right, um, where you see here the younger age groups at this side um, that are also more skeptical uh, of democracy. So. Um, and um, uh, this has been increasing from earlier time points, and one could argue uh, that this gap is, is quite increasing here for the youngest age group. So more and more young people are doubtful about democracy. 
secondly, they have also shown uh, that we do see a widening gap of political apathy that is also related to age, meaning that the people who express political interest are different when it comes to age comparisons and we see that there's not much change for the older age groups but we see for the younger age groups they are much less interested in politics. Now we know from our research on youth that people, young people don't react to the word politics very well. They like more the word society and so on. So we can talk about how to do a much more encompassing study on that. And um, uh, so, yeah, so these are just ideas uh, I'm, I'm spitting out. And since I have to wrap up, I just have time to, to mention this very briefly. Uh, I think, and this is what I'm applying for right now, for a project to study the resistance in Western societies against the dismantling of democratic principles. We should probably study this with big nets, so it's not probably easy to study this with survey items per se. Uh, but how thorough is the support for democracy in Western societies, and do people fight when it is in danger. That's my point. Uh, and we need to look at the protection of minorities, their political representation, uh, their representation in the media, uh, in the increase of hate crimes, and the elite discourse that enables uh, uh, the hate crimes and uh, potential discrimination uh, against minorities. And we need to look at the acceptance of disagreement, uh, of political disagreement in particular. So these are my two cents, and thank you for your attention.